Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many believe and how many... Let me rephrase that. Not how many believes, how many knows that God is faithful. Amen. He is so faithful. So faithful. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to have my brother Carl hand these handouts out here this evening. Tonight we're going to, we're going to continue in our Tuesday night series that I started last week. <clears throat> I'm going to be talking to you tonight again on this topic. This is just going to be the, the title every Tuesday night until I run out of stuff to talk about. But I want to talk to you again tonight on misquoted and misunderstood understanding misused scripture. Misquoted and misunderstood understanding misused, misused scripture. Now, if you weren't here last Tuesday night, um, I believe the Bible study is over on the side pew over here. Last Sunday night, or last Tuesday night, it was our first uh, of this series, and, and we just went heavy right out of the gate. We went after Matthew 7 and verse 1, um, where Jesus said, Judge not, lest ye be judged. And that was a, uh, a scripture that we all have heard people quote. We've heard it used in various ways for various purposes. And 90% of the time, it is used improperly. Um, we talked about it being a get-out-of-jail-free card for a lot, of, uh, a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Amen. And, and I pray, uh, after last Tuesday night, I pray that you had a, a better understanding uh, and I talked about how the church does not need to cower down. The church does not need to cower when somebody accuses you of being judgmental or judging simply because you take a stand on the word of God. And, and, and we differentiated between being egotistical or arrogant about it and simply just taking a stand for righteousness and and we talked about those things. And so I pray that that edified you, and I pray that that gave you understanding. Tonight I'm going to talk about another scripture that is often uh, misused, going along with our title. Uh, in the book of Romans chapter 8, I want to draw your attention to verse 28, but I'm not going to put it on the screen just yet. Sorry, tech, tech lady. But I want, to open, I want to open this Bible study tonight like I did last Tuesday night with the scripture out of Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, because this is important. This is really the foundation, uh, so to speak, of what we're doing here on Tuesday nights. The, the Lord speaks to the prophet and he says this, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of food, no, for lack of shelter, for lack of a good running automobile. For lack of a good job, 
for a lack of knowledge. He says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. And I, I drew your attention, it's even on your handout, to that very first part, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Brothers and sisters, there is a great ignorance in the world today of the word of God. That's the reason that we have powerless Christianity. That's the reason that we have powerless churches. Amen. We have plenty of churches. We have plenty of buildings. There's plenty of people that fill those buildings. But a lot of those people couldn't cast the devil out of somebody if the devil was having a bad day because they're powerless. They don't understand the word of God. Amen. Or like I stated last Tuesday night, some people's Bible reading consists of what they go along with on the screen on Sunday mornings in church, and that's the extent of their study of the Word of God. And then they wonder why they can't get the victory spiritually in their lives. They wonder why they can't grow in God. They wonder, why am I, why am I stuck in this place? I can't ever seem to move forward. Amen. It's because you lack knowledge. It's because you don't crack this book open. Amen. And so I want to tackle another uh, scripture tonight that falls in line with what we're doing here. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. I guarantee you probably every one of us here tonight is familiar with this scripture. Romans 8 and verse 28. Very popular scripture. It says this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called, who are the called according to his purpose. Let me read that one more time. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Amen. So our study tonight revolves around a, a scripture that, in my opinion, would fall not so much under the misquoted category because most people are able to quote this scripture fairly well. At least they get the first half of it right, most of the time. But most of the time also, they quote the first half of this scripture and they leave the back half of it off. And I figure... There's a couple of reasons for that. It's either because they don't know the second half of the scripture, maybe they've never memorized it, or it's because it may disqualify their intention for the first half of the verse. And I'm going to get into how one part of this verse qualifies the other here in a little bit. But I want us to understand tonight that Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 is, is what we might call a hallmark Scripture. It's not uncommon if you go through the card section at Walmart and you look through the religious sympathy section, it's not uncommon to see this particular verse on sympathy cards in the greeting card aisle. It's not. It's a very common, very common verse, and rightly so, because this is a scripture within the right context that does bring comfort and reassurance for sure. Amen. This particular verse is a beautiful reminder that God is always working 
on our behalf. Even, even when things come along that you and I don't understand, even when things happen to us in life that we can't comprehend, even in times of misfortune, in times of uncertainty, even in times of great tragedy and loss, we can fall back on this particular scripture and we can find comfort and faith in this scripture. And so it is with this particular verse that most get the quote mostly correct. But there is a great deal of misunderstanding and that in itself leads to the misapplication or misuse of this scripture. Now we can quote what it says, or most people can quote the first part of what it says, but we lose its context and meaning in trying to apply it to just any person and just any situation. I want us to understand here tonight, and let me kind of say that again. Romans 8.28 is a great scripture. Every verse in this Bible is great. But we lose the context and meaning of Romans 8.28 when we just try to pull it out and apply it to just anybody in any situation. So the first step to understanding Romans 8.28 is to understand the context and the intended audience. Now that's, that's very important in Scripture. That you understand when you read the books of the Bible who they were being written to. And so obviously we know that Romans 8.28 is found in the book of Romans, right? The book of Romans was addressed to the church at Rome. The book of Romans is addressed to the saints in Rome. Pastor, how do we know that? It's in the book, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul begins the book like this. He identifies himself, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Now watch what he says here. He's writing to this audience. Among whom are ye also the called, everybody say the called, the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice verse 6 right there. He says, I'm writing to those that are the called of Jesus Christ. And in verse 7, he says, I'm writing to those that are called to be saints. The book of Romans was addressed to the Christian church in Rome. That was who he wrote it to. That was the intended audience. Amen. And so the first thing to know is that this book is addressed to saints. This book is addressed to believers. This book is addressed to the redeemed or the born again. 
Amen. This book is not a promise to the sinner or the unbeliever. How do we know that? Now that sounds a little bit harsh, and please understand me tonight. Let's, let, me, let me preface the rest of what I'm going to say by saying that, listen, when we go through these Tuesday night Bible studies, there's going to be some revelation. There's going to be some things that I'm going to teach that may be some hard truths for you to swallow, but it does not change the fact that they are truths nonetheless. I would rather have the truth of God's word prick my heart, upset me, or offend me a little bit than me go on to believe a lie and somehow be out of the will of God. Can I get a witness here tonight? And I'm under an obligation as your pastor. You voted me in here to tell you the truth, right? You voted me in here to teach the word of God and to teach it in truth. And so that's what I'm doing. And so, <clears throat> the book of Romans is addressed to the Roman church. Let's look at, let's look at the entire scripture again here in Romans 8.28. And I want to add, I want to I look at the whole thing. Romans 8.28, Paul says this, and, and, and I did, I did your, the scripture in the handout in, in two different ways. I, I italicized the last part of the scripture. He says this, he says, and we know that all things work together for good, okay? Now the qualifier, now the qualifier, the last end, the last part of that scripture qualifies the first part of that scripture, now, I'm going to read the first part again, okay? We know that all things work together for good. Now, here's the qualifier. Work to the good for who? To them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So there's two parts to this particular scripture. Paul's writing to the church at Rome. He says, we know that all things work together for a specific group of people. All things work together for good for a specific group qualified by the second half of the scripture. All things work together for good to them that one, love God, and to them who are the called according to to his purpose. Amen. When we, when we read this scripture, we know that that's who the receiver of this promise is. The first half of this scripture is qualified by the second half. And so we have to look at the entire verse. Amen. It's intended audience and its context. We have to understand, brothers and sisters, when we read the word of God, who are these scriptures being written to? If we read the book of Romans, the book of Romans has been, it is written to the church at Rome. When we read the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Paul wrote that book to the church at Corinth. When we read the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote that letter to the saints in Ephesus. Now, pastor, are you saying that we can't glean things? No, we can absolutely glean things. Because if you're in the church, brothers and sisters, now I, I'm gonna, the rubber's going to hit the road here in just a minute, and I'm going to say some things. 
But if you're in the church, what Paul wrote to the church applies to you. Whether it's in Ephesus or Corinthians or Galatians or Thessalonians, it's to you. But it's not to everybody. It's not to everybody. So we have to look at the entire verse of Romans 8.28. We have to look at its intended audience. We have to look at its context. And once we understand that, once we understand that Romans 8.28 was written to God's redeemed, once we understand that it was written to the saints of the church, then we have to, we have to agree that we cannot in truth, in truth, we cannot just willy-nilly throw this scripture out whenever we want to comfort somebody. Now, I'm all for comforting people, and I'm all for helping people, and I'm all for being there to pray with people. But I can't walk up to somebody that I know does not live for God. Somebody I know has never been born again of the water and spirit. And they're going through a hard time. And I can't put my hand on their shoulder, Sister Lisa, and say, Well, listen, all things work to good. Because that's where most people stop. God works all things to the good. Well, see, I can't do that. Because if you're not living for God, if you're not born again, if you're not walking with the Lord, that scripture does not apply to you. Like I said, the rubber's kind of going to hit the road, and, I'm, and, and this is probably going to rub a lot of people the wrong way on the live feed. It might rub people the wrong way on the podcast. And I'm not trying to be contentious. I'm not trying to be proud. I'm not trying to, to do any of that. But brothers and sisters, if there was ever a time in our culture and in our world right now that we need to know the truth and not just love the truth or know the truth, but love the truth, today is that day. The Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. And so when we open that book, brothers and sisters, we got to know what we're reading. We got to hide it away in our heart. We got to have a working knowledge of the word of God. Amen. And so Romans 8, 28, we have to understand it wasn't just written for anybody. I don't care how many greeting cards at Walmart have that scripture on it. It's a comforting scripture. Yes, it is. I totally agree with that. But if you just hand it to anybody, you're misapplying the scripture. No, there's, there's nothing wrong with giving someone a card of comfort that has scripture on it. Nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is we can't, we can't take certain scriptures, Sister Joyce, that weren't intended for just anybody and, and try to apply that to just anybody's life. Does that make sense? No, there's absolutely nothing wrong with trying to comfort somebody with, with, with scripture. But we have to be careful in the way that we apply that scripture to people. Now, now we, we can understand tonight that there's plenty of scriptures in the Bible, plenty that are addressed to the sinner. There's plenty of scriptures that, that are addressed to those who have not been redeemed yet or those that have not been born again. And I'll give you just a few of them here tonight. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Jesus said this, he said, Come unto me all 
Come unto me all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. That's an invitation for everybody. He said everybody's welcome to come to me. Jesus is drawing everybody to him. Amen. God is no respecter of persons. Here's one that we all know, John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that's a scripture all in itself I could add to one of these Tuesday night Bible studies. But that is a scripture that is an all-inclusive scripture. Whosoever believes on the Lord, whosoever obeys the word of the Lord, Whosoever obeys by faith the plan of salvation, Jesus said, everybody is invited. There's lots of scriptures in the Bible that apply to everyone. Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Future tense. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord... Amen. In another translation, it would say, whoever has the name of the Lord called over them. Whosoever will call on the Lord. You can be the rankest of sinners. You could have lived the worst life. You could have committed the worst sins. But if you come to God with a broken heart and you call on the name of the Lord, God will answer to your call. When you have the name of the Lord called over you in baptism, by faith, God comes in and works a work. Amen. He remits your sins. He washes them away. There's a lot of all-inclusive scriptures in the Bible that apply to everyone. Jesus is still very much calling the sinners to repentance. But please listen to me tonight. But the Bible tells us that the prayers of the sinner or of those who are not yet redeemed will only be heard when they are prayers of repentance. Psalm 51 and verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. What that scripture is saying is that God will never turn away someone who comes broken in spirit. Matter of fact, and I'm just, I'm, this is right off the top of my head, I believe in the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, blessed are they that are poor in spirit. God will never reject the prayer of repentance for any sinner. It does not matter what you have done. It does not matter how rough you've lived. It does not matter how many sins you have committed. It does not matter if you are on death row for murder. If you come before God with a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart and you repent, God will attend His ear to your prayer. God is rich in mercy. But that's the only prayer that he may hear. 
And you say, Pastor, that sounds kind of rough, but let me, let me explain that to you. God is not obligated. He's not obligated to hear or answer any other prayer by anybody that is not in covenant with Him. He's not obligated. He may... It's God's prerogative. He's a sovereign God. I'm not, telling, I'm, not saying what, I'm not telling God what He will do and what He will not do. I'm simply going by the word of the Lord. But God is not obligated to hear or answer prayers to anybody that is not walking in covenant with God. If you go through the Old Testament and you see every time that Israel rejected God, God would allow them to go into bondage. He would allow them to go through very tough times. He would allow them to go into slavery. And then God would not hear their prayers until they turned back to Him and repented. Until the voices of the children of Israel came before the Lord in sorrow and repentance. And then God would sweep in. He would hear their prayers. And He would come and He would deliver Israel out of the hand of bondage. So God is not obligated to hear or answer the prayers of anybody that is not in covenant with Him. How many times in your life, before you were ever walking with God, how many times did you ever get yourself into a pickle and you said, Oh God, if you would just let this work out in my favor, I'll go to church Sunday. And then it happened to work out in your favor, whether God had anything to do with it or not. And Sunday came around, and you overslept, and you're like, nah, maybe some other Sunday. Brothers and sisters, we got to understand tonight that the promises written to the churches are for the saints. Promises written to the churches are not for casual church attendees or unbelievers. God's not obligated to extend His promises to people that do not love Him. Is this okay tonight? This is, this is kind of hard. God's not obligated to do anything for anybody that does not love Him. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that anybody, anybody that falls into the category of the unredeemed or the unsaved, I've come to tell somebody tonight, you do not have to stay that way. That is not your destiny. As a matter of fact, I can show you by Scripture that it is not the will of God. It is not the will of God for any human on the face of the earth to be lost and go to hell. It's in your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but He is long-suffering to usward. Watch this. Not willing that any should perish. Anybody know what the root word of willing is? Will. You know what the will of God is? It's not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Notice the two major words right here. God's not willing that any 
perish, but all repent. The invitation to salvation is for everybody. There's nobody excluded. Amen. You can't ever be rich enough to get to heaven. You can't ever be poor enough to get to heaven. You can't rescue enough cats out of trees or help old ladies across the street to get to heaven. You can't do enough good deeds to get to heaven. But I want somebody to understand. Heaven is for everybody. The salvation plan is for everybody, whosoever will. God is not willing that any should perish. God does not want anybody to go to hell. Hell was not created for you and me. That's the reason that I preach sometimes that hell is not a destination. Hell is a choice. We, we had a brief discussion before service this, uh, this, this afternoon. You can invite people over and over and over again to church. You can, I can have a thousand altar calls and have nobody respond. I can preach the plan of salvation 50,000 times. And until somebody moves, like the song said, until somebody moves by faith, you have made a choice to be lost. It's not God's choice. God wants everyone to be in covenant with Him. The Bible says that God takes delight and pleasure in blessing His people. Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Jesus said this. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God takes pleasure in giving you the blessings of the kingdom. He takes pleasure in blessing you. And Jesus is referring to those that are in covenant with God. Psalm chapter 35 and verse 27. The psalmist says, Let them shout for joy and be glad thy favor that favor thy righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. God has pleasure in blessing His people. Brothers and sisters, if you want the blessings of God in your life, put your hand in His hand, make up your mind, get off the fence, stop straddling the fence, get the one foot that you still got in the world, get it in the church, make up your mind you're going to live for God, that you're not going to turn back, that there isn't anything out there that's better than what God has for you in here. Make up your mind. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Uh, help me, okay? <clears throat> His people. God's people are those in covenant with God. It was always by His design. God has always worked by covenant ever since the beginning. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, God had a covenant with Adam and Eve. A covenant is an agreement between two people to reach a desired outcome. 
But it's like I have preached here a hundred times. The problem that we have with God is we think that we can set the boundaries. We say, okay, God, let me negotiate with you. There is no negotiation. He's God. You didn't speak the world into existence. He did. We can't author our own salvation. Remember them folks that tried that? They built a tower. <laughs> That's the reason I can't understand French people today. Thanks to them folks in Babel. We can't save ourselves. And so all the way back in Eden, God said, here's the covenant. I've given you paradise. I've given you everything. You don't have to do anything but dress the garden. Just don't touch that tree. As long as you don't do that, we're good. And then Eve went and messed it all up, and then Adam followed. Actually, Adam messed it all up. Eve just started it. Because God didn't say a word until Adam ate of the fruit. But that's a, that's a different Bible study. As a matter of fact, that's a Thursday night Bible study. It's always been by God's design to work in covenant. So what does that mean? That means that we can't just pull every scripture and every promise out of the book and slap it on everybody and think that it sticks and think that it applies because it doesn't. And I can't stress, I can't stress enough here tonight or any Tuesday night. Amen. That if you have not been born into the church, if you're not born again, if you're not in covenant with God, God wants you to be in covenant with Him more than you could possibly know. Now, if you're here tonight, or maybe you're watching or you're listening, you are walking in covenant with God. You've been born again of water and spirit. You love the Lord. You're doing your best to live for God. Doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. Doesn't mean you don't trip up and fall. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for when I fall, doesn't say if I will fall. You will fall. You'll stumble. Falling down is not a sin. I heard a preacher say not getting back up is. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. You're going to fall. But if, you're, if you've fallen under that category, if you've taken on the name of Jesus in baptism, God has filled you with the glorious baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you're doing your best to live for God every single day, then Romans 8.28 is for you. Because it was written to the church. Matter of fact... <clears throat> Romans chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible because the entire chapter 8 section of the book of Romans revolves around living life in the Holy Ghost. It revolves around life in the Spirit. So then you must be filled with the Spirit to be led of the Spirit. Does that make sense? You can't be led of something you don't have. So... For those that are redeemed, let this verse be a comfort to you. Let it be a comfort to you in things that you don't understand. When everything in your life is going the wrong way and you can't make heads or tails out of anything and you can't understand what's going on and you can't understand why things aren't going the way that you think they should, let Romans 8.28, let it be a comfort to you. 
When you're moving into a, a place in your life and, and, and prayers that you have prayed forever and you have prayed them earnestly and desperately and you're seeking God and you feel like that the answer coming from the throne is no. Let it be a comfort to you. When you're facing situations in your life where it seems like one negative thing after another and it leaves you asking why, or it leaves anybody ever been in a situation where you just simply throw up your hands and you go, What's next? We've all been there, right? Then let Romans 8:28 be a comfort to you. When you come into a, a, a phase in your life where you got so much going on, that doesn't make any sense. So much that, that you don't understand. Where everything is going the opposite way of the way that you assume that it should be going. Or the way that you have planned. Let me say it that way. The way that you have planned for it to go. Let Romans 8.28 be a comfort to you. Can I have that scripture back on the screen? When everything is going wrong. When everything is going the opposite of the way that you planned. When you're suffering. When you have questions and you have no answers. When you're walking through a wilderness. When your prayer life is going through a dry place. When the plans that you have for your life all of a sudden become disrupted and your life goes in a different direction. Hold on to Jesus. Because Paul said, and we, yes. No. He said, and we know. That what? That all things work together. For what? For good. Anybody here ever put a uh, jigsaw puzzle together? You ever had a puzzle piece that you look at and you just think to yourself, that is a really ugly puzzle piece, the way it's shaped. And you think to yourself, I don't see where this fits anywhere. I, I, I can't even imagine where that on. I'm looking at the picture on the box and I've got half this puzzle done. That's the ugliest piece in the whole thing. I have no idea. I think they might have put the wrong piece in here. I'm probably a piece short. And then you get to the end of the puzzle and you realize that that puzzle would not, somebody hear me tonight, you realize that puzzle would not or could not have been completed until that ugly piece was put in. What I'm trying to tell somebody tonight is God has to take the ugly pieces of your life and He fits them all together because He knows where they fit to make the completed picture. Tragedy, sadness, sorrow, loss, pain, guilt, shame, 
God knows how to take every one of those pieces and connect them to joy and to victory and to peace and contentment. And He knows what the picture is going to look like at the end. Amen. We don't understand. We can't comprehend. But we serve a God that knows the end from the beginning. And He knows how to take every piece. He knows how to work every trial and every test. And He knows how to put it all together. Amen. So at the end, when you're rejoicing in your victory, you'll think back in the quiet time. I couldn't understand what God was doing then, but praise God, I see what He did now. I know what He did now. I see how He put the pieces together. I see how He gave me the victory when I couldn't think of any way I was going to get the victory. you're here and you're going through some of those things I want you to be encouraged God knows how to work everything he knows how to put the pieces together for them that love God and for them that are called the called the called according to his purpose God knows how to put the pieces together be encouraged, amen. And be encouraged tonight that God knows what you need. Be encouraged tonight that Jesus is still in the salvation business. He's still in the delivering business, praise God. He's still in the miracle working business, amen. He's still the mighty redeemer. The arm of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save. Amen. And so, I, I, like I said, I did not come to the pulpit tonight to offend anyone or upset anybody and anybody that's watching or listening or maybe anybody that's here tonight. I've not come to cross swords with you. But I have come to tell you the truth of God's Word. Amen. I've come to tell you that maybe this applies to you tonight. Praise God. And I've come to tell others that it can apply to you. Let's stand here tonight. I don't know about you here tonight, but I've made up my mind. I've made up my mind that I'm walking with Jesus. I've made up my mind that, like the song said tonight, I'm going to finish this race. Amen. I've come too far to turn back now. Amen. Oh, I, I'm listening. I'm talking to somebody. I said, I've come too far, praise God, to turn back now. God has brought me too far to turn back now. Do I have any witnesses in the house? Amen. That would testify that God's been too good to me. Praise God. He's brought me too far for me to turn back now. Oh, hallelujah. Would you lift your hands unto the Lord here tonight? Oh, let's just thank Him for His Word. Let's thank Him for His promises tonight. Let's thank Him for His great mercy. Let's thank Him for the grace that we have every single day. Almighty God, we thank You tonight. Hallelujah. God, we rejoice in Your goodness. Glory to God. We rejoice in Your mercy, Lord, that endureth forever. Hallelujah, God. We thank You for the grace that we have, God, and that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, Lord, for your unfailing promises, God, that you have given to us, Lord, that we are partakers of that promise. And we thank you for the truth of your word here tonight. God, I pray, Lord, let this word edify the church, God, let it edify the saints. 
Lord, I pray, God, let it speak to the hearts of sinners and to the unredeemed, God. I pray in order to bring them closer to you, God, to bring revelation, Lord. I pray edify this church, God. I pray, God, give us knowledge and understanding in the Holy Ghost. Lord, we thank you for the truth, for you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Oh God, we give you the glory here tonight. We thank you for it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, God, help us to take this and hide it away in our hearts. Father, we thank you tonight, God, in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. 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 You are dismissed tonight in Jesus' mighty name.